Welcome to the Becoming More Significant podcast. And this is all about helping you to become more visible, more credible, and ultimately more profitable by becoming more significant. And you have a smorgasbord of offerings to tap into. So over 50 wonderful podcast conversations with incredibly inspiring guests, each of whom are being truly significant in the world. And they're sharing wisdom and insights that helps them to continually have an ongoing impact in the world by being ever more significant. Then I have 10 Wisdom and Insights episodes where I have captured the golden nuggets from those conversations. And in each Wisdom and Insights episode, I share from either five or six episodes, the key learnings, the insights, and the practical actions that we can all take right now to become more significant in the world. And then my third offering is some snapshots of the learning that I have been doing over the last few years. I am a learning junkie. I'm constantly keyed into audiobooks, to podcasts, to TED Talks, to online courses, to mentoring. And I'm learning so much all the time that I'm sharing with my clients. And so I want to do that through the podcast platform as well. So I will be putting together very short, probably 15, 20 minute sessions on key learnings and again, key actions that can help us all to become more focused, tap into more of our potential and make a real and lasting difference in the world. So lots to choose from. And thank you so many of you for supporting the podcast over the last couple of years. It's been great to have you on board. And long may you continue to tap into the wisdom and gems of the Becoming More Significant podcast. Wherever you are today, I hope you're shining brightly. Have a great day. So my guest today is the fabulous Becky Woodhouse, who's got an amazing business. And um, I've invited Becky on because I so admire all that she has achieved in her relatively short life. So hi, Becky. Lovely to have you here. Hi, Sylvia. It's lovely to be here. And thanks for inviting me on this podcast. So I'm really honoured to be invited Thank you. It's my pleasure. Now, for the benefit of the audience who perhaps don't know you, can you tell us who you are? What do you do? What's your day job? Yeah. So um, I'm the founder and CEO of Pure Spa and Beauty. Um, So I started Pure in 2002. Um, I was 27 when I started and um, I just had a baby actually so (laughs) I was a young (laughs) mum and um, really the whole ethos around pure spa and beauty is accessible spa and beauty services but with great customer service so um, we're in predominantly urban locations Um, we do everything from quick maintenance treatments, eyebrow axes and things to full spa day 
packages. So the whole thing, everything in between. <laughs> so um, I started with one salon in Edinburgh um, and then grew basically organically. Um, and now we have 15 across the UK. Um, and probably a couple of more to open this year if we ever get out of lockdown. So yeah, so it's been a really exciting journey and I'm happy to share that today on the podcast. I kind of want to go back to your opening phrase, which was you launched your first one at the age of 27 when you just had a baby. I mean, most women having their first baby, it's like, right, okay, this is my total focus. This is my world, etc. How on earth did you manage to launch a business when you just had a baby? Yeah, it's funny because now I look back on it and I think I have no idea how I managed that, <laughs> which is so funny. But um, I I trained as a – so just going back a little bit further, um, I come from Norwich originally, and um, when I left uh, school, I went to Bradford University and I studied chemical engineering, um, which is a four-year, quite a hard degree, actually, well, really hard um out of, I think there was 80 people who started in our uni and only about 30 of us graduated after the oh, four gosh. years so it was super hard um and obviously when I started that I wanted to be an engineer but after four years I decided it just wasn't me so um when I graduated I got a job as a chartered accountant so I I switched um and I was working with one of the big four um which was great sort of business training I worked in the audit department um, and I studied for the chartered accountancy at the same time so it was quite full-on because you're working and studying and it's you know both quite full-on a job and the studying as well but um, and then when I when I qualified as a chartered accountant I I could have obviously stayed in that corporate world and um you know, I, I did quite well in that. Um, but I just, it just wasn't me. I just couldn't, I couldn't cope with all the politics, to be honest, you know, and um, I just wanted to be able to get on with my job and, and not have to worry about other things. And I just, I felt I wasn't really, it just, it just didn't fit with my, myself. And um, so um, I just, thought then I just don't know if I can really work for other people which is and um so I I then decided that I would start to look for you know I I had a passion for wanting to start my own business and make my own way in the world you know and I, I just thought I can only rely on me and I need to do something for me so I actually um which is quite progressive at the time because we're talking I qualified as a CA in 2000 so you know, early 2000s, um, it's funny, you know, it's pre-Facebook and <laughs> it's pre-internet, really, you know, it's not, not quite, but, you know, it wasn't, it's a funny, funny world. But um, I actually asked my employers if I could go part-time to start a business and people said to me, are you crazy? Why would they ever agree to that? Um, and I, my business case was you can basically I'm going to go and do this anyway, regardless, but you can either have me part of the time and I can carry on doing the good work that I'm doing for you 
Mm. Or I'm just going to leave anyway and you've lost me for good. So, um, and to be fair to them, they did really listen and they they did give agreed for me to go part-time and because otherwise I just would never have, I couldn't afford to really give up my job completely. Um, but equally, I had no time to think about starting a business and you do need to have a lot of time. Um, so that all happened and then I fell pregnant. So um, I was married and it was planned, but um, obviously quite young to mm. be pregnant. I mean, he... Morgan was actually born when I was 26 but it was a week his birthday's a week before mine so um, I was a week before my 27th birthday and um, it was it was quite a hard time because none of my other friends were pregnant at that point you know it was it's quite a young mum mm. but I always wanted to be a young mum so I was you know I was quite happy with that and I never saw it as a barrier to me being able to do anything with my life um, you know, I've always kind of thought of it being this completely separate thing, you know. Um, and so I used to I used to just take him with me wherever I went, you know. So if you wanted a meeting with me at that point, you know, my baby would be coming with me. And I just was like, I'm, I was just absolutely sort of adamant about the whole thing, really. Um, Morgan, bless him, was such a good baby so you could sort of rely on him to you know if I scheduled meetings at a certain point you know I knew it would be he, when he would be asleep etc although it didn't mm. always you know babies they're not always so compliant when you want them to be but um and yeah so it, I mean it was hard it was hard um doing that um and and I guess but it's interesting that he, ne I mean, Morgan never went to nursery until he was about a year old. Okay. So I literally did the work with him beside me. Um, and I just used to time everything, you know, so I'd be working when he was asleep and then I'd be playing with him when he was awake. And, you know, I guess when they're quite young, mm. you know, they're, they're a little bit easier and I only had one. I mean, it didn't work that way when I had my second. <laughs> Put it that way. <laughs> it was like twice, twice the trouble, you know, is definitely, I think, the thing. But, um, yeah, I, I think that it's um, – I, I just think that it, it's a shame, actually, that businesses and companies aren't more flexible still – I think. I mean, I, I've been to networking things recently in the last few years where, you know, it's still a bit of a taboo to take your baby with you anywhere, you know. And, and this was, you know, my baby's now 19. So this was a long time ago. Yeah. Um, but I was I just felt, well, what's what's wrong with it? You know, what what is wrong with, you know, you're being a mother having a baby and taking them with you when you're working mm. you know I never saw anything wrong with that and I think Morgan now you know having grown up with a mum who's worked it you know he he's just he actually gets really interested in the business now you know and he's forever messaging me like oh have you seen this and what about this and what's happening with this and you know, he's really interested in what's happening with the business and how it's grown over the years. So, 
um, you know, I think in some ways it's a good role model. Yes. That you can make that work. And, you know, I mean, I have very much always, um, and this is, you know, I haven't always been able to do this, but I've always been of the viewpoint that I want to have a really good balance in my life. And I, and to the point where I don't actually call it a balance. I actually hate the words work-life balance because I think you're the same person, whether you're at work or a life or whatever you're doing. And so <laughs> it's, it's life balance, not work-life balance, because you don't change who you are when you're at work. You're still the same person. And when it's your own business, you know, it's very hard for me to be objective about anything to do with the business because it is personal to me because it's what I've grown. It's like my third baby. <laughs> um, you know, I've put my heart and soul into the growing the business. And so it's hard. You can't be objective and professional. I, I've given up. I gave up trying to be objective and professional about it a long ago because it's just... You can't. You can't. It's it's an emotional journey that you've been on. It's part of your life. And but but the business also is not me. You know, I'm not I'm not the business. You know, the business is separate from me. You know, it's my passion project, but it it doesn't define who I am as a person. Um, I'm very much about keeping that separate. Um, You know, sometimes people, I think, look at the business and they you know, they think it's all about me and it's me, but it's not me, <laughs> the business. Mm-hmm. I've put a lot of input and but so have a lot of other people put a lot of input, you know, my employees and, you know, other people who've been coming along and, you know, everyone really, suppliers, you know, customers and clients, you know, it, it takes a lot of people to start a business of a size, I think. You know, it's not just one person. Indeed. Yes. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's great. I just wanted to, um, in, well, interrupt, not really interrupting, but I wanted to ask you, um, you said uh, something that just stopped me in my tracks the other day. You said, I can rely only on me. Does that come from anything? You know, have you always believed that? Was that something that came from your childhood? Just talk to me a little bit about that phrase. I can rely only on me. Um. Yeah, it prob- probably has because I've always been quite self-reliant. Um, it probably comes from, you know, I, um, you know, my schooling wasn't that great, and I I wanted to sort of break out of my um, education. Um, I went to school where there wasn't very many people that went to university. It was very much in the. It wasn't a. It wasn't an aspiration, put it that way, um, okay. if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, you know, it was a, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, your teachers were very proud if you went to university, but it wasn't an ex- expectation that you would ever have that expectation that that, that would be what you would end up doing. So it was mm. quite hard to um, break through that in a, in a, in a way. And I felt that, um, well, one thing that actually really defined it for me was when I was um, when I was about 10, we used to live in Peterborough and we moved back to Norwich. So I was born in Norwich and then my parents moved to Peterborough, which is about 90 miles away. And then 
so too far you know it was it was quite a way um different schooling so but moving back to Norwich at the age of 10 was the year before sort of going into kind of high school and when I moved back I had been in the sort of top band of the education in Peterborough and because I'd moved they defaulted me into the middle band when I went to school in Norwich and I at the age of 10 I don't know why but I sort of vaguely kind of knew in my head that I needed to be in top band going into high school so I pressured my mum basically I was on at her can you go to the school and ask them to put me into top band because I don't belong in middle band I know I belong in top band and um, she did and they eventually said um, we'll only allow me to go into top band if I sit an exam that they set me on a subject that they knew I hadn't been taught um, in maths right (laughs) because they said otherwise if she doesn't know this subject she'll fall too far behind top band they already know this so I borrowed the books to learn it from a friend who was already in top band at school learned it myself took the exam and passed it but I did at the time I didn't really think about it but I feel now I look back at it and think they really kind of set me up to fail mm. um, but I didn't fail because I was resourceful and you know worked out how I could teach myself the subject to pass the exam and I did pass the exam and they did put me up to the top band and then but if I hadn't have done that, I would have gone into high school at middle band, which meant that I wouldn't have got the grades that I needed to go to university because mm. I wouldn't have been able to sit the exams. Mm. So actually, you know, what seemingly is sort of a very kind of, you know, when you're 10, <laughs> you don't really think about, did actually set me up for being able to even go to university in the first place, um, which obviously you know, you look back in hindsight and think, crikey, that was a big moment in my life. But it didn't feel like that at the time. But I just knew in my heart that I needed to do it. Um, And my mum was obviously very supportive. And, you know, she fought my corner at the school. Um, And, you know, so, so that was good. But I think maybe from that point, I knew I had to rely on myself. I could only rely on myself. Wow, that's incredible um, strength for a 10-year-old, Becky, you know, to know absolutely they had to be in that top band and to fight for that place. But not only that, then to teach yourself something that you hadn't been taught and get through the exam. Wow, that's unbelievable. <laughs> I know, well, when you look at back on it, you think, wow, yeah, that's that's scary that you would think that when you're 10. But at the time, I think I wasn't really... You know, I didn't think that way. You know, I've, mm. it's only after I reflect on it that I think, yeah, that was a big moment in my life. And if I hadn't have done that for myself, where would I have ended up? Probably mm. not where I am now. But mm. but maybe I would have ended up where I am now because it was me that pushed to do that. Yeah. So, um, you know, maybe it is part of, you know, what I do. Um, yeah. Yeah. And were you always like that as a child? Were you always 
determined to succeed at things you know even before you were 10 can you remember you know instances then where you just thought no I can do this and you were determined that you could do something yeah yeah I mean I you know when I was yeah when I was little I used I was a I was actually very much of a geeky kind of child you know I was my head was in books I read Shakespeare when I was eight and you know (laughs) and I was very maths orientated as well um when I was in Peterborough they actually put me up like I was in the year ahead of where Mm. I was um to do with maths although even then they didn't really they never really you know could could cope with people who who were very far ahead of where you were supposed to be in your schooling because they used to sit me at the back of the class and then give me a textbook to work through Oh, gosh. You know? <laughs> so it wasn't quite like being in the, the next yeah. class up but yes. um yeah I was always a bit of a you know I loved reading maths anything puzzles mm. 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 you know I was quite yeah mm. Well, it certainly set you in good stead for the phenomenal business that you've got now. I mean, that strong can-do attitude, even to, you know, the extent of, you know, moving out of the accountancy world, but actually transitioning and working there part-time and building your business at the same time. Funnily enough, I've just been interviewed for a podcast immediately before this, and um, she was asking what my advice was to people who are now through the pandemic thinking, I don't want to do what I'm doing anymore. I want to, I want to run my own business. And I very much talked about transitioning. You know, you need to carry on earning money while you're setting up a business so you can support yourself. And then you'll get to that tipping point where suddenly your business is flying and you can, you can afford to move on. But that transition, it's quite, it's quite a tough place to be, isn't it? Because when you start something new, you just want to go for it. And to be in two camps, it's hard, isn't it? It is hard. Yeah, it is very hard. Yeah. But I think you do, it, it's a journey, I think, mm-hmm. as well. And I think as well, you need to really want to enjoy the journey and not just the end point, yes. because you will have ups and downs. I mean, I've had so many ups and downs. You know, I could write a book on my ups and downs in the business. And some of the things that I, I've done or had to do, you know, people would just be like really (laughs) just just amazing things that you end up being involved in that you just would never expect in a million years to have to do Mm. but you do because you're everything stops with you as well you know when you own a business and I think in some ways that is the thing that um I think can either be the thing that you love the most or the thing that you hate the most about being you know your own business owner because I now love the fact that I am totally responsible and accountable to nobody and only myself so if I do anything that's not good enough the only person that I've got to blame I feel is me Mm. Um, and but I very much take that as you know, I can only do my best, right? I can't be better than I can, I'm capable of. So I'm not even going to try to do that because, you know, and I I don't feel bad. I actually don't, I very, very rarely feel regret on anything because I think 
actually at the time when you do something you do what you feel is right and best for the time if after the event it turns out to be the wrong thing you can't blame yourself for 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 acting the way you did at the time because you know at the time you did what you thought was best yes there's no point in beating yourself up saying why did I but why did I not do that I have done that a lot in the past but I realize it's just Mm. pointless because you know you you can only do what you think is right at the time and you just have to go with that and accept you know if you've got it wrong you've got it wrong um Mm. and and that's it you know move on um and and yeah and I, I, I think that um if you if you can work like that it becomes more enjoyable because sometimes I think where people don't enjoy business is where it gets tough and they just don't know how to get themselves out of where they are in a Mm. rut and we all get to that point and I've been in that point so many times and you know you could say that the coronavirus you know I mean I've had to shut the business you know I mean, for the best part of a year now, it's mm. been shut more than it's been open. Yeah. Um, now, I never, you know, in a million years thought that I would ever have to deal with the coronavirus. You know, that was never in my plan. Um, even a week before it happened, I never thought we would end up being shut for as long as we have been shut for. And even after we came out of the first lockdown, if you'd have said to me, oh, but you're going to be in lockdown from Christmas again and you won't be open till next April, you wouldn't have believed that either. Yeah. I don't think anyone would have believed that. Mm. You know, you have to sort of deal with things at the time and make the best of them. And you can't ever, I think, blame yourself for doing things that you maybe think after the event, oh, I could have done that so much better because you've done your best at the time. And if you know that, then you know, you should, you should be happy with that, I think. I totally agree, <laughs> Becky. And, you know, at the end of the day, we can't change something that happened even a second ago. So, mm. you know, why devote lots of brain space and beating ourselves up to stuff that we can't change? It's happened. Learn from it. And as you say, move on and focus on what you can do today rather than what you couldn't do yesterday. And, yeah. you know, I think we expect too much of ourselves too often and beat ourselves up for things that we haven't done or not completing our to-do list. And that, yeah, you look at your to-do list and it's like two days worth of to-dos on there, you know, and we expect that we're going to do it all. So, you know, we're, we can be very hard hard on ourselves so so yeah I love that but what I also wanted to talk to you about Becky was the fact that now you've got 15 salons and you're planning on opening two more even in the current situation so where does that strength and that vision and that sense of we can do this where does that come from um I think it's I I think probably over time, I have become quite resilient to knowing my own abilities and also limitations, I suppose. And, you know, I've been through so many, you know, times in even in the business, you know, there have been times where I literally have thought this business is going to the wall. And, you know, I can't do anything to stop it. You know, and that Anyone who who 
has been in business will understand that feeling of absolute despair yeah. that comes yeah. with that. And I mean, I'll be honest with you, the, the night when, um, if you remember last year when they did the, um, the week before Boris announced the shutdown. So I think he announced the shutdown on like the 20th of March, mm. around about that date. The few days before, um, everyone kind of knew it was on the cards. And we literally had, I mean, at the time, I was actually um, coming back from Australia with a stopover in Thailand. And I was actually in Bangkok on the 17th of March, right? Which was the day where basically all of our clients cancelled all their appointments and it was before Boris did any announcements to do with, you know, the furlough schemes, any of the support schemes. And, you know, it was that feeling of, I don't know how the business is going to survive this, mm. you know, because we don't, we had no support. We did not know what support was going to happen. I was halfway across the world. So I wasn't even there. Mm. And, um, I felt terrible, you know, I, I felt absolutely, I remember sitting in the hotel room in Bangkok, like an absolute wreck, because I was like, I just can't cope with this, you know. Um, and then, you know, and then obviously Boris did his announcement. And then I was like, we're saved. <laughs> <laughs> we're saved. <laughs> but, but um, you know, but I mean, things always do happen. And I think why I don't know why I got so despondent because that's happened to me so many times where I've thought, that's it. Mm. You know, the world's ended. It's <laughs> all going to be. And then something else has happened and I'm like, oh, no, it's all fine again now. <laughs> and and um, so, you know, I do think there is a bit of, like, you have to try not to take, everything too seriously because there's always something around the corner mm. and if you can just get to the corner <laughs> yeah. so that's sometimes what I do is literally just think I'm not even going to think about it I'm just going to get up the following day and do whatever I can do and yeah. then I'll go to bed and then I'll get up the following day and I'll do the same and yeah. then one day you know maybe things will be better yeah and usually it actually happens that way, you know, because you, I think you focus on the things that matter. Yes. And you just wipe the rest of it. Don't even think about it, you know, and just wipe it and, and think I'll, I'll deal with that when I can deal with that, but I'm yeah. going to focus on this now. Um, and that's kind of what we've done through the pandemic. And um, I ended up getting stuck in Thailand I should have been there for a week and I was stuck there for two and a half months. Oh my goodness. In Thailand because they shut the airport mm. and you couldn't get any flights back. So I had to shut, we had to shut down the business and um, we, we eventually got back in the start of June. So, um, you know, we should have been back, well, in March. <laughs> so we went there. So, but I was working so hard 
while I was over there, I mean, you know, thank goodness for Wi-Fi and things, but, um, you know, working on trying to get the funding, trying to, I mean, we had a lot of, um, I did quite a lot of lobbying, actually, because um, the Scottish government, to start with, weren't going to replicate the grants that they'd announced for the UK. Um, so we had a big fight to um, to be able to get that. And um, there was a lot of a lot going on, you know, trying to get funding and sort out all the reopening and yeah. all the COVID secure things. And um, and then, you know, a lot of me was, you know, it's it's okay for me because I because of my background, you know, I've got my chartered accountancy and things. I, I kind of know the lay of the lands with certain things, you know, but mm. some, there's a lot of, I think where, where I feel that the, the pandemic has really let some people down is that the lack of support there has been for smaller businesses because, you know, they, they, they don't have an, an accounts team or an HR team or a, someone to do their furlough or Mm. you know and it's incredibly complicated um you know and I know that the government have done a lot of good things but I think there's some things that they could have done a lot better yeah um and so I've tried to sort of help where I can um you know and we've shared a lot of things we did a we did a actually a marketing campaign on the back of you know, when Rishi did his um, Eat Out to Help Out yes. campaign, we created a Treat Out to Help Out campaign. And we shared all of our artwork and all of our marketing materials with anyone who wanted it, it's any salon owner. Um, and, you know, and a lot of them, you know, just to try and sort of help, because it's all it's okay for us, you know, we're slightly bigger, you know, we've got, I have marketing people and mm. graphic designers and people who create posters. And but you know, if you're a small single salon owner, you know, very much, you know, you have to do all that yourself. I mean, I was there, you know, when I had one, I did all of that myself, you know. <laughs> so I know what that's like. Um, and so I just felt that as an industry, we needed to pull together more to help each other out. Mm. And um, and I think that, you know, one good thing that's come out of the pandemic is that there is a bit more um, a closer ties within the industry mm. um, with some of the business organisations and things. And they have got, uh, you know, the, the government are talking now to our industry but that was a big fight to to get that. Mm. Um, and I still think there's a long way to go, you know. And and now, actually, I look at things like, you know, they, they didn't include um, personal care in the VAT cut that they announced. And then I think, well, why not? Because we're exactly the same as hospitality. Mm. We're a service-led business. We employ people who serve the public in a service you know how is that different how is that different from hospitality mm. you know we've got premises it's it's the same you know and then and then you think well actually 
when you look at the pandemic and you look at the statistics with, you know, how much it's affected females and women led businesses more than men. And, you know, our industry is 85% women. You think, well, you know, there's a good example of it, really. Sure. Um, and, and so actually, you know, that makes me quite angry, actually, because I think, well, we've worked just as hard and probably harder, <laughs> you know. Like a lot of mums have had to do homeschooling and run their business. Indeed. Yes, yes. And I know that the statistics show that 77% of women are really stressed by the pandemic compared to 55% of men. And, and I think you're right there, Becky. It's all the extra responsibilities. It's not just running a business. It's, you know, women generally are the ones that are doing, most women are doing the homeschooling as well as trying to look after, you know, keep in touch with elderly parents and, and everything else that needs to be done. So mm. it's a really stressful time. But, you know, um, I just wanted, before we kind of um, come to the end of our interview, just wanted to ask you about your awards because you have won an award almost every single year. You know, you've won <laughs> Best Salon, you've won Best Employer and, and countless others. How come you've achieved all those accolades? What is it about you that you attract so many awards? I don't know. I think I have very high standards myself. Um, And, you know, I think that if you're the leader of a company, then you set the standard on that. Um, And one thing that I did quite a few years ago actually now is I did a big project on our company values so um we we I actually did it involving all of the staff so we did a project that basically we gave each staff member three post-it notes and we asked them to write down three words that they thought of that described a pure person. Right. right? And then we we put we gave them a poster of a person and we asked them to stick all their, their stickies on. And then we collected all the posters in and then we literally counted up the words and we took the, five, the, the top five words and said, well, they are the values of our company because they are the values of everybody. Um, and th- <laughs> really interestingly, they were actually the values that I really valued. Right. So I thought that is amazing. That is absolutely amazing. But I thought, well, it's maybe not amazing because maybe that is secretly how I've run the company without realizing it Mm. all the way along. But our values are professional, passionate, trusted, caring, and team. Nice. They're actually not easy values as a company to do I mean trusted is quite a hard value and caring is they're hard when you think about you know how that translates down into an organization and although we're not you know a massive company we are quite a complex Mm. company you know we have 15 locations we operate seven days a week you know we have you know predominantly female workforce but everyone works in shifts. You know, we do rotors. We have a lot of part-time staff. And very few of our 
employees actually have a computer at work because their job is dealing with, you know, the clients coming through the door. So communication is, is really quite hard. So actually putting the values in from the company point of view is something that they can understand and it feeds down into the into the organization without me having to be physically present every because I can't physically obviously be in 15 places at once mm. um, and we use them to recruit to train to you know on absolutely everything and even down to picking suppliers people who we'll work with or who we want to work with um, and it they very much are completely embedded and what I think it underpins as a company is our culture sure and so therefore we have very few actual rules around what you do and don't do at work you know so very much I encourage everyone to be themselves and you know they they do have processes to follow but they're in a framework that is connected around our values Mm. and so what it means is that people feel empowered rather than you know just coming to work and doing a job yeah and I never view them as coming to work and doing a job and I also view the most important people in our company as the people serving our clients you know so I feel that the manager's work for them you know our job as managers and leaders is to make sure that they've got all of the things that they need to do their job and that comes from a big level of trust you know we trust them to do their job but they need to trust us to do them it's a trust thing you know it's a big trust thing actually Mm -hmm. and I think in the pandemic you know when everyone's had to shut down trust has become a, a massive issue in companies and I think it's shown up the companies that do trust their staff who found it far easier to pivot or you know adapt their operations than the companies who didn't have that level of trust but I am a great believer that you have to give trust first yes Mm. and so you know I will always and People say, well, don't you get disheartened when people let you down? And I think I'd say, no, not really, because that's not a reflection on me. It's a reflection on them. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I'm not going to change who I am and how I work because someone else, you know, abuses a level of trust. If they do that, then, you know, that's down to them, not me. You know, why should I then change how I am with other people? Yes. Because of that, you know, so. um... Wise words. Wise words, Becky. Um, (laughs) Now, um, what I want to do is uh, give you a chance to tell people how can they get in touch with you? What's your contact details? Yeah. So, um, well, you can find me on LinkedIn, Becky Woodhouse. Just search me. Should come up. Um, My email is Becky, B-E-C-K-Y at puresparuk.com that's probably the easiest okay or LinkedIn message wonderful 
And I will put those links in the show notes um, so that people can actually connect with you and, and find out a little bit more. I mean, we could have gone on talking for a lot longer. Um, however, the time has come to draw this interview to a close. But I always like to ask my guests if they've just got one last thought or one last insight they would like to share with the audience. Um, I think that I actually feel very positive at the moment. So although we're still in lockdown, um, there is an end to it. And I don't believe that the lasting impacts of the lockdown will be negative. I think they'll be positive. So I am a little bit of a, an internal, <laughs> eternal optimist, but um, I hope that everyone, I know that it's been so hard for a lot of people and it's been so hard for everyone having to stay in and, you know, we, we've all, it's touched everyone's lives, but I feel that there's a positive and that we should all embrace the positive. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Becoming More Significant podcast. And I really hope that you've taken away some practical steps to take right now to help you unlock more of that hidden potential that we are all only scratching the surface of. If you would like to discuss how I might be able to support you in your journey into greater significance, please get in touch it's calendly.com forward slash Sylvia Baldock for a no obligation free initial coaching call to find out how together we can make sure that the coming weeks and months are your most significant ever. Take care.